Seltzer Kings podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, so what did you do as a teen, Gavin? Frolic on the village green and then pop around to the pub with your mates? I happen to know you grew up in Luton. Yes. The following podcast contains... Obscenities and profanities. I told him to move on, but he continued to use profanity. That is, if you've absorbed enough profanity. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just let your kid play on the escalator like that, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 352, The Malls Are All Empty Now, edition of the show, where we grab an orange Julius and check out the hottie working at the Sunglasses Hut. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the creepy guy at the food court. The Creepy Guy at the Food Court is a staple of every mall experience. He's at every mall everywhere in America. Is he the same guy? Does he work there? How long has he been sitting at that same table? No one can possibly know, but there he is. The Creepy Guy at the Food Court is there when the mall opens. He is there when the mall closes, and he never seems to buy anything or ever leave his table. He just sits there in the food court being creepy. Is he still there even after the mall has gone down to three stores, all of whom will be out of business in just a few months? Is he even a real guy or just a very creepy, lifelike robot? We'll never know. The Creepy Guy at the Food Court, part of the American Mall experience for 50-plus years. Since this mall opened, C.R. Anthony, J.C. Penney, and even Duke and Ayers have all pulled out of downtown Virgil. Shoppers here will go wherever the bargains are, wherever it's convenient to shop. They don't care if they shop in a funky old building downtown or in a clean, modern place like this. See, they're wise to advertisers' claims. In a place like this, they can comparison shop. Everybody could hardly wait until the mall opened. Said Margie Ortiz. I go there just about every weekend, so the two of the other girls from work. See, I told you. shopping mall has replaced the town square as the center of many American cities. Shopping itself has become the activity that brings people together. And here, the music's always playing. What time is it? No time to look back. My earliest shopping memories revolve around my granny taking me to the five and dime store. How old are you? How old are you? Look, when you grow up in a very small town in the 1970s, there are going to be some things that are anachronistic. And in this case, it was Redford's Five and Dime. My granny would come into town once a week for groceries and bring me the oldest male child of her first biological daughter because I was her favorite. And that meant she took me to the dime store 
and bought me a toy. The high point of my life. The dime store was a magical place for a little kid. Creaky wooden floors, racks full of oddities and mysteries, and in one corner of the store, the toy section. Full of plastic dinosaurs, green army mins, and guns that used those red roll caps that made a little pop and then smelled like matches. It was a universe of imagination for a six-year-old. As the years went by, my parents would take me to Athens, Tennessee, the nearby county seat, where we would go to a department store. A Roses or a Big K, which were like Walmart, but before Walmart. You ancient bitch. Trips to Athens were always special because it meant we were shopping for a reason. Back to school clothes, birthday presents, or Uncle Cooter was getting out of jail after his fourth DUI. There's all kinds of milestones in life. If we were going to Roses, which still exists, by the way, there's still a few stores around in Philadelphia. Sadly, Big K, long gone, bought out by Walmart in the 1980s. But if we were going those places, we needed more than what we could find at the dime store. But for the really big big events. Christmas shopping or Uncle Cooter going back to jail for his 50 UI, we needed something bigger than Big K and that meant we were going to Cleveland. Cleveland! This is for you! No, 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 not Cleveland, Ohio. But Cleveland, Tennessee. And that's where the shops at the Cleveland Mall were. Cleveland Mall had a Sears, a JCPenney, and a Roses. It was the pinnacle of East Tennessee shopping without going to Knoxville or Chattanooga. We did go to the mall in Chattanooga a time or two, but the experience for me was just so overwhelming that it never really stuck in my brain. It was like seeing Elvis or the Beatles or, or that time I got abducted by aliens and was anally probed. No, actually, now that I think about that, that wasn't aliens anally probing me. That was a truck stop hooker that stuck her finger in my ass when I didn't ask her to. You know it happened, but even years later, you really don't have the words to describe it. That's the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. Look, I was born in a town where the high point of our shopping was a goddamn dime store. Don't judge me. For decades, the American Mall was more than just a place to get Sears tough skin jeans sized hefty for your tubby and ungainly son. They were a center for commerce, culture, and social interaction for broad swaths of a nation that didn't have anywhere else to go. That's not something to be proud of. For a century or so, America had had Main Street. If four stores, seven churches, and a post office can be considered a main anything. But by the mid-20th century, Main Streets were a fading remnant of their former glory, I guess. Eisenhower's interstates had the unintended effect of moving the center of localities away from small towns that once dominated the landscape and scattering the people and businesses out over much of said landscape. Where once you hitched your wagon and rode into town to the general store for a pound of flour, a dozen yards of gingham, and some bacon, now you hopped in your Chevy, motored out the main highway leading out to the interstate where all the goddamn stores were. Then, some bright mind came up with the idea of putting a whole bunch of stores under one big roof just out by the interstate, and the mall was born. Just like that? Just like that. The Central Shopping District had long existed around the world. Places like the Bazaar from India and the Middle East. A district of covered stalls where merchants congregated and sold their wares. And that is basically considered a progenitor of the mall. But it was post-World War II America that created what we generally consider to be a traditional mall. 
The Mall Hall of Fame, which, yes, is a real website, or at least a blogspot website, features American malls going back as far as 1946 with the Greater Seattle's Bellevue Shopping Square and then goes into excruciating detail to highlight the various <laughs> mall stones. No, Dave. Of mall design and history. It lists the Southdale Center in Edina, Wisconsin as the first true enclosed shopping space that is considered a modern mall opening in October of 1956. Now, I hear you asking. I didn't hear anything. What is considered a true mall? The Wikipedia page for shopping mall lists 17 different types of shopping centers and shopping malls as classified by the International Council of Shopping Centers. Nope, nope, absolutely not. No, that really is a thing. It was founded in 1957, and it features more than 70,000 members in over 100 countries, including shopping center owners, developers, managers, marketing specialists, investors, retailers, and brokers, as well as academics and public officials. It lists such variations as the Mega Mall, the Super Regional Mall, the Regional Mall, the Small and Medium General Purpose Centers, the Community Shopping Center, the Neighborhood Shopping Center, and of course, the Convenience Center, more commonly known as the Strip Mall. This isn't even mentioning the Outlet Center, the Lifestyle Center, or the Theme and Festival Center. That was more than I wanted to know. What was the question you, oh, oh that's right. What constitutes a mall? Well, to put it succinctly, a mall is a collection of retail stores and other businesses in an enclosed climate-controlled space with large retail establishments serving as anchors for the mall and many smaller retail, restaurant, and entertainment venues providing a centralized shopping experience for a region. They often, but not always, have satellite stores and restaurants surrounding the main mall structure. The entire complex shares a large parking lot and contributes to the upkeep and maintenance of the whole. They're usually located on the periphery of a major metropolitan area near main artery roads and provide the bulk of retail shopping availability for non-food items for a fairly large geographic area. They differ from shopping centers, which are not co-located under a single roof and do not share electrical and other public utilities. Please stop talking! Okay, fine. I just found it fascinating is all, but if you don't care about mall infrastructure, I'll stop telling you about it. Let's be honest, you all know what a mall is. You cruise inside one, if you can still find one that's open, and it's like a time portal back to the early 1990s. A fake fern paradise filled with tinkly music, the smell of Cinnabon, and old people walking slowly in circles just waiting to die. Oh shit, I feel like I'm there now. Time moves differently in a mall. I mean, I don't have, like, science or anything to back that up, but you know the feeling. It should only take ten minutes to walk the few hundred yards from one end to the other, yet by the time you hit pennies from Sears, six hours have passed and you need to shave. You aren't even stopping to look at anything because you can't afford to buy anything in there, and you're, who's going to fucking want a sun catcher or a beeper, which for some reason are still on sale in the pocket dimension that is the mall? Time has literally slowed down to the speed of the rascal scooter, old Hank, who spends most of his time in the central court fountain, rides all over the mall in. And inside of every mall, it's always 1991, and Sam Goodies is always having a half-price sale on casingles. With Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson. I do not know why malls are enclosed within a temporal anomaly, but it remains evident that they do. Ian Bogost wrote in The Atlantic in 2018, quote, 
Malls are prisons for commerce, but at least the commerce stays inside them. You can leave again. Like a casino was designed to contain and focus risk, so a mall is designed to do so for expenditure. Eventually, your own humanity forces you to leave. In fact, 45 minutes into my iPhone wait, the familiar dizziness of mall going sets in. Mall head, I've always called it. The wooziness of disorientation and recycled air is a design feature of malls and casinos alike. It keeps people around, but it also presses them out. Unquote. And when you leave the mall, you look down and you find out that you've only been in there for eight minutes. I don't know why there is some freaky time shit going on in malls, but we need to get goddamn scientists down there, some physicists or something, to figure it out. The entire experience of a trip to the mall leads you into this malaise of things you look at, but you don't buy because you neither need them nor can you afford them. I used to visit the mall knife store. Every mall had one, the kind of place that carried high-end culinary knives, overpriced pocket knives you might buy for your dad at Christmas, and of course, the swords. Sword, 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 sword. Lining the back wall of every mall knife store were an array of broadswords, claymores, and katanas all running several hundred to several thousand dollars that you could never afford. But if you were the kind of kid who wanted a sword, you always wanted one. They wouldn't even let you hold one if your parents weren't there. And the whole goddamn reason you were in the knife store in the first place was to get away from your parents, to give your parents just a little bit of time to spend an hour shopping without your begging ass pleading for a toy. The mall is full of places like that for all ages. I mean, who the fuck could afford anything in the sharper image? I mean, I guess a lot of people could afford it, but the kind of people that would drop 600 bucks on an espresso machine aren't shopping at Bumfuck County Mall. These places to exist to remind you of all the things that you couldn't have to make you want to buy something, anything, just to validate your existence in a consumer capitalist society. God bless America. But still, we went to the mall. Indeed, for a lot of kids, the mall was the only place they ever went because that's the only place they could go. When you live in the sprawl of the suburbia, you ain't got shit to do. Nowhere to go. No way to get there and nothing to do at home. This was before the internet and you could only place so much Space Invaders on your Atari 2600 before you freaked out, had to leave home, and go play Space Invaders on an arcade machine, and that meant you went to the mall. If I had to guess, malls hit their cultural and economic peak in the late 80s and the early 1990s. And as we've mentioned a time or three on this podcast... Yeah, like, like a thousand times. Consumerism was a thing in the 80s. And the mall was our corporate temple to the pantheon of the products we worshipped. Teenagers deprived of anything else to do with their sad and empty lives other than drinking or drugs arrived at the mall in droves. There's so many of them. Packs of teens would arrive in minivans and station wagons dropped off by their parents who just wanted a minute's peace and maybe to go home and fuck. And the teens would remain there for hours wandering from store to store, purchasing little of anything, but occupying so very much space. They would congeal like a bloodstain in the food court, where the shrieks and giggles would leave any unfortunate adult in the area seeking a stiff drink and a pair of earplugs. They pity the poor people whose livelihood depended on these children, trapped like damned souls in some circle of hell with a devil decorated entirely in neon pink and blue. And what did kids do with their time at the mall? People just hang out. For most of the kids at the mall, they didn't have that much money. 
Not like the rich kids who shopped at Macy's. The average teen was at the mall to be seen. You see, high school in the 80s was deeply segregated. I mean, not segregated. Well, okay, yeah, it was that kind of segregated too, but not in any official capacity. What I'm talking about is freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors. The younger kids weren't going to parties and hitting the keggers. No one wants a drunk 14-year-old puking all night in their bathroom. A drunk 16-year-old, totally fine. So instead of parties, the younger kids did their flirting at the mall. You were defined by your mall status as much as you were by your school status. It was very complicated, it was a huge hierarchy, and was determined entirely by which stores you were seen inside by your classmates. I feel like I'm in a John Hughes Reek de Passage movie. Look, those movies weren't goddamn classics for nothing, my friends. They reflected a lot of truth about the lives and times in which they were filmed. So, what did we do at the mall? Well, we walked around and went inside stores. First of all, the anchor stores, Sears, Pennies, that kind of place. They were free territory. Holy ground, hide under! No judgments could be made if you were spotted inside of Sears, even if you were there with your parents. The anchors were often near the entrances, and you could plausibly just be passing through toward a cooler store. It's also, sometimes pennies had cute stuff that you could pretend came from someplace else. Everyone lied about it, so everyone pretended they didn't see you flipping through the racks at pennies. Also, at least once a year, you had to go to Sears to get your picture taken at the Sears Picture Studio. Through Saturday only, get two 8x10s, two 5x7s, and ten wallet-sized portraits for just fourteen ninety-five. A face like yours deserves all their romance, and I gotta tell you, baby, you never look better than before your life at Sears. If you were a girl, you went to the clothing stores. There were different clothing stores for every kind of girl in the 80s. The preppy girls went to the merry-go-round. Follow the sun to merry-go-round and win a free captivating Caribbean cruise and a free summer wardrobe. Merry-go-round was the place for upper-middle-class teen girls to buy clothes that looked like they should be on MTV. A commenter on the inthe80s.com summed it up thusly, quote, Like the best was Perry in the cardigan-style, IOU signature-style mock turtleneck with, uh, like, the Z Karichi slots, lots of belt loops and side flap styles topped off with a pair of either, like, you know, Zodiacs or Giorgio Bertini slip-on shoes with a buckle. Of course, tight-rolled at the bottom. Just the shape of how clothing fit on people made them look like walking mannequins it was a true age of like style unquote if you were a young man who cared about fashion you of course shopped at chess king the future on your mind television on your mind sex on your mind keep chess king on your body Chess King clothes were the kind of fashion for young men who wanted to give off a certain vibe, and that vibe could be best described as... You know, the kind of dudes who might be down for a little date rape later on tonight. The sort of boys whose hair was so heavily product-laden they stood a substantial risk of going up like Richard Pryor freebasing if they weren't careful when they sparked up their camel lights. 
If you were not a preppy boy, you steered way wide of even the vicinity of the chess king. Unless you wanted to be accosted by the flower of the upper middle class males with a super atomic wedgie so far up your ass, you could floss with your fruit of the looms. If you were a young woman of the less snotty rich bitch motif, your shopping choices at the mall were severely limited. You could build your wardrobe from scratch, but if you were looking for off the rack, you had Contempo Casuals. Corp Goff, a Gen X fashion blocker, wrote, quote, A lot of my wardrobe from 1984 to 1992, every big pair of leggings I wore in every color, all the big button-down shirts, a ton of broomstick skirts, scads of brocade, and lace new romantic stuff, piles of accessories, you name it. The brand gets some anti-nostalgic flack for being the home of neon baggy 80s weirdness, but damn, those sales racks were where I built a fabulous romantic goth wardrobe on a reasonable budget, unquote. Now, say you were a schlubby, kind of portly kid with no real fashion sense or even a desire to shop for the latest trends kind of like you yeah i was never a trendsetter indeed my mom bought most of my clothes for most of my time in high school which is uh probably why i was so unpopular for so many years but when i finally got my own money i kept my shopping fairly simple I bought the obligatory Levi's 501s and the rest of my money was spent at the local t-shirt kiosk. These were always small, locally owned places where you could pick up the latest heavy metal band t-shirt or if you were feeling adventurous, a mildly risque joke shirt that you had to hide from your mom and put on when you left for school. Well, who knew you were such a rebel? Of course, the vast majority of my time was not spent shopping for clothes. On the rare occasions I would be at the mall, I had two destinations, and the first was my Nirvana. Walden Books presents Christmas savings and gifts that are fun for everyone. Now and only till Christmas. In the days before Barnes and Noble and way before Amazon, the nerd class all herded at Walden Books. One could find the latest in fantasy novels, a new Dungeons and Dragons manuals, and all the Star Trek novelizations your young heart could desire. I loved Walden Books. My parents always knew where to find me when they let me roam free at the mall. They never worried that some stranger might abduct me because all the creepy pedo stranger would have to do is take one look at the chubby ginger Dorcas paging through the fiend folio and realize I would be far too annoying to kidnap and kill. Man, this nerd is lame. I was safe in the sheltering arms of Dragonlance novels, copies of Dragon Magazine, and the collected works of J.R.R. Tolkien. This very day, when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and need to go to my safe place, I think back to the distinctive smell of a Walden books. The scented candles at the front of the store mixing with unique aroma of thousands of mass market paperbacks and glossy magazines, and I feel safe. I don't believe in an afterlife, but if I'm wrong, I can only hope that I spend eternity in a giant Walden books thumbing through the latest copy of Dragon Magazine. As I got a few years older... I moved down a few doors to the center of Kitsch, circa 1985. The incredible... Shopping at Spencer Gifts for the newest trends plus great nostalgic items is always fun. Oh, Spencer's. It was like somebody took a circus midway, the back page of a comic book, and a fuck shop, and squeezed it into one very dark, very loud corner of the mall. 
I'm not sure who the intended demographic of Spencer's was, but his customer base was factually boys between the ages of 13 and 21, or grown-ass men whose sense of humor had stopped developing between the ages of 13 and 21. Hey, you're talking about me! There is no way in hell a teenage boy in the 1980s ought to have been allowed in there, but damned if that is not where we all were. Commenter Cubs fan wrote on a straight dope message board back in 2014, quote, My mother was a Spencer's girl in the mid to late 80s. There, I said it. It's true. I was 10 to 14 years old when she worked there. I didn't understand what she was doing or why. I remember getting dropped off with the ball by my dad to go get some pretzel sticks from Hot Sam's. I walked into Spencer's next to Musicland to see my mom, and there was a line of people waiting to check out with items that I still vividly remember to this day. Whoopee cushions, slutty nurse costumes, body condoms, patchouli scented oils and insect stickers, a Freddy Krueger poster, comical beer mugs, Batman belt buckles, Sesame Street backpacks, fake poop, hard hat with beer holders on the top, lava lamp, disco lamp, a ball cap with two hands on it that you pull the string and it clapped, a ball can with a fan built into the brim, a ball cap with fake poop on it. I remember sneaking into the back section of the store to look at all the pseudo sex toys, a lot of cheap nylon stockings, sex board games, sensual oils, calendars, fuzzy handcuffs, men's thongs. There was an entire section of the store devoted to a hilarious over-the-hill trinkets like keychains, hats, posters, cards, shirts, mugs, glasses, and buttons, unquote. Spencer's was always the place where one could find the perfect seasonal attire. Be it a Halloween costume like a slutty nurse, a slutty maid, or a slutty forklift operator. I'm strangely turned on right now. Kitschy underwear on Valentine's Day, all sorts of American flags for 4th of July, and let's not even mention St. Patrick's Day. Yes, they're always after me, lucky charms. No, seriously, let's not mention it because the ancient order of Hibernians gets really busy about it when you bring it up. From IrishCentral.com in 2014, quote, The ancient order of Hibernians is calling on national retailer Spencer's Geft a holding of Acon Investments to immediately cease the sale of denigrating and defaming merchandising targeting Irish Americans in the U.S. AOH National President Brendan Moore told Irish Central that the campaign had the highest priority. No other ethnic group would stand for this type of vulgar, ignorant stereotyping, he said. Spencer's has gone too far. They are after me, Lucky Charm. <laughs> Among the defaming items for sale online at, and at Spencer's stores includes a hat with the reflex <laughs> Irish girl wasted, St. Pat's drinking team drinking under a bitches under the table, and another shamrock and blazing shirt with drunkest bitch at the bar. We've been told in the past by Spencer's that this defaming merchandise is meant to be in the spirit of fun. Yet we're not aware of Spencer's engaging in such humorous merchandise relating to other heritages and their holidays. He added, we thankfully do not see such fun merchandise being offered by Spencer's in conjunctions with Cinco de Mayo, for example, unquote. And the only response I can offer to this is they clearly never went in with Spencer's in the 1980s. Now, I know I mentioned fuck shops and Spencer's was kind of like a PG-13 version of a fuck shop. You couldn't buy a double-headed deep dicker dong or anything. You could find some furry handcuffs, edible underwears, and those men's thongs with an elephant truck you're supposed to shove your junk into. Optimistic. 
But that never kept people from being angry about them being for sale and for the easy access children had to said items. As late as 2011, people were still complaining. From KPLC in Lake Charles, Louisiana, quote, acting on a tip from a viewer, Seven News took an undercover camera inside Spencer's at Pre and Lake Mall in Lake Charles, where we able to where we were able to walk right into the uh, adult section of the store, which was not barricaded off from the rest of the store. Among the products on the store shelves were an inflatable blow-up dolls that emit sexual sound, plastic cups that displayed male genitals, and lollipops in the shape of male genitals. Kevin W. Mahoney, the general counsel for Spencer's, released the following statement: For more more than 40 years, Spencer's Gifts has displayed a small portion of adult-themed merchandise in stores. To ensure that this merchandise is displayed in a responsible manner, it is placed in the back corner of our stores and may not be viewed from the common areas of the mall. Spencer's places advisory signs on the front entrance of the store, advising our guests before entering of the presence of this merchandise. The merchandise is also placed in discreet packaging while on display in the store. The area where the product is located is monitored by Spencer's store associates to deny access to children who who may be present in the store and are unsupervised by a parent or adult. With these measures, Spencer's ensures that the merchandise is displayed and sold responsibly, unquote. The only response I can offer to this again is they clearly never went into a Spencer's back in the 1980s. As you might infer, Spencer's gifts still exist in 2022, but like the malls they reside within, they're fading fast. The last new mall built in the United States was in 2006. In the past decade, 25% of America's malls have closed, and many of the ones remaining are mostly empty, their bills being paid by medical clinics, armed forces recruiting centers, and vape shops. The glory days of the mall are behind them as brick-and-mortar retail struggles in general. Even the big-box stores like Walmart, Target, and Best Buy are downsizing and supporting themselves by increasing their grocery components. Gone are the days of Sam Goody, Suncoast Video, Tom McCann Shoes, and the Chess King. Their douchebag customers probably buy online now. Americans no longer come together in our retail temples to be seen and heard. The food courts are all empty now, except for that one creepy guy who's always there. The only customers in malls today are the old folks getting their laps in during the cold weather months. And it's hard to mourn the mall. They were at best tacky conglomerates of kitsch and at worst the Amazons of their day driving out small businesses as big corporate chains consume the market share. And Generation Z doesn't need to hang out by Auntie Anne's pretzel stands to bully and torment each other. They can do that by body shaming on Instagram and by making surprisingly hurtful TikTok comments on an aging Gen Xer's TikTok page who's only trying to remind them that their parents were cool once upon a time. Yeah, I read your comments, Buzzboy69. They were very hurtful. I'm not even nostalgic for the mall. I was hated going into the mall. And even in my 20s, I just wanted to get a pair of jeans, not wander through the temporal anomaly between Bath and Body Works and FYE. But it's hard to see them go just the same. The malls were shitty. But they were also the last gasp of analog culture America would truly share. And maybe, just maybe, we're a little worse off for them being gone. That is it for our show this week. I gotta admit, I never liked much shopping for anything, really. Even now, I'm much happier just clicking a few things on a website rather than weaving my way through the throngs of people staring at boxes of cheap plastic crap. 
Never got the thrill of finding a bargain in person like I do when I say find a great deal on Discogs for a Night Ranger album I bought for the first time when I was 15 and then sold when I was 31 because vinyl was dead and now buying it again at 52 because my soul is dead. At least my midlife crisis doesn't involve a sports car and a new wife who's half my age. I mean, I don't even have an old wife who is my age. Next week, we are starting a new series about how television taught America that living in a police state is fun. Don't worry, I lighten it up with clips from Barney Miller. Now, speaking of massive mistakes, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps others find this show, hear this show, and realize they've made a huge mistake. If you'd like to up the ante on your bad decisions, kick us a buck at patreon.com slash podcast. It helps pay for all the vodka spikes, arms, Julius's we had while we were researching this show. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to in the closer. He just really wanted to spend an hour at the Warner Brothers store picking out a new Daffy Duck tie, but no, he had to record that instead. And so for me, Dave, hey, you ever get the feeling that America is turning into some kind of sitcom lowest common denominator shopping mall marketing strategy hell? Bledsoe, producer, yeah, so go get some gasoline and burn down the malls. I hardly think that's legal. Gavin and all the fictional teens on this show are hanging out at the mall. We want to say, burn up, burn up, burn up, burn up down the shopping malls. Which, since they're all closed and empty, no one will get hurt. And the people that own it can collect on the insurance and we'll give you a cut of that insurance. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. There, now we're friends. See you at the mall. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.